to see everyone this morning and just looking around the room, and I had a chance to meet some of you on the way in. I know we've got lots of folks who are with us for the very first time today, and so if you are a guest and I didn't get a chance to meet you on your way in, my name is Bill. We love it when new folks uh, come to our church every week, and so if you are brand new with us, we would love to connect with you. The easiest way to do that is to have you text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. So it's on the screen behind me. It is also on the sticker in front of you if you don't um, get it off of the screen. It's on the seat back there in front of you. Um, and so what you'll receive when you text the word welcome, you'll receive back a link to a digital connection card. So it's just our way of getting to know you a little bit. We'd love to find out how we can serve you and your family. Uh, if, you, if I didn't get a chance to meet you uh, on your way in this morning, I would love to do so on your way out. Or if you have questions about anything that you hear today or questions about the church at all, questions about how to get connected, um, please come find me. I will be uh, out at our connection area, so just out the doors to the right. That's where I'll hang out over there. Um, and so we'd love to answer any questions that you have. Um, and you can find any of us on staff. We'd love to visit with you for a little bit. You know, so Cody, who's leading worship for us, you can find him and ask him about things. Even Ronaldo, um, who was up here earlier, feel free to ask him about stuff. Um, uh, we, we really love Ronaldo. We actually have um, some blackmail photos of Ronaldo that I wouldn't let Cody show this morning because we need to use them at just the right time. So we're not going to waste them today. Um, so he's just you know, wearing a skirt at camp, which is weird, but it's real weird. So that's good. Good job, Ronaldo. Um, and then at, at the end of the service, you'll see Melissa up here too. So feel free to ask Melissa questions um, about anything about the church or, or whatever as well. Glad that you're here. You know, when you walk into a church for the very first time, you're like, I mean, like, I, what am I getting myself into? And hopefully you're getting yourself into a positive experience. But one of the things that I would love to communicate to you this morning is that what we hope while you're here is that your faith comes alive. I'm going to talk about this a little bit this morning, but it's our desire that we don't just go through the motions in our faith, but that faith comes alive in our lives so that it guides everything that we do, because that's what the life of faith is all about. So I'm going to talk more about that um, in just a second as we begin the message this morning. Entering into the last lap of the 5,000-meter race, the Ethiopian runner, Agos Gebrowait, began to make his move. He'd been comfortably running with the pack, but near the front throughout the race. And now as they were entering into this final lap, he began his kick to run hard toward the finish line. As they made their way around the first turn and down the back stretch, he gained some separation from the other runners. Initially, a few tried to keep up with him, but there was no way they could keep up with the pace that he was running. As he made his way around the final turn and down the home stretch, the distance he had gained between the other runners, it became clear it was going to be insurmountable. He continued to run hard across the finish line, and as he did, he held his arms up in triumph. But as he crossed the finish line, he heard the ringing of a bell, indicating that there was still one more lap to go. In the middle of the race, somehow he had miscounted laps, and so he thought he was running to the finish line, but in reality, there was still one lap to go in that race. And so as a result, he thought that he had won, but because of his mistake, he struggled to an unfortunate 10th place finish. And I can't imagine what that was like for him. Disappointment, 
the embarrassment running in this stadium full of people. Because he literally went from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat in a matter of seconds. What's really interesting about that, I've watched the video of this race, and the announcer said that it's actually not all that uncommon. Especially in an indoor meet, this was an outdoor meet, but especially in an indoor meet where the track is so much smaller, you run so many more laps, it's easy to miscount. And it's easy to think that you're running toward the finish line only to realize that there is still more race to be run. This morning we are continuing our series. We started last week called The Finish Line. It's in the second half of the book of Philippians where Paul uses the imagery of running. And so we're just taking that imagery that Paul was using and um, applying it to our lives and our situation. And last, last week we began by talking about finding the finish line. It's the finish line of our faith. And as Paul laid it out for himself, he said the finish line was to know Christ. He said, I want to to know Christ and be made like him. And so when Paul said, I want to know Christ, he was saying, I want to become just like Christ. Or in other words, that his life would reflect who Jesus is in all that he did. And so we talked last week about how really that should be the finish line of our faith. What we are striving towards is becoming just like Jesus. We talked about it a little bit last week, and and I want to kind of reframe it again for us. So often, that's not what people think the finish line of faith actually is. So often, people think that the finish line of faith is getting to heaven. Part of the reason that people think that way is because that's what the church kind of communicates to people. And I want you to think about why. Think about some of the language that we might use in communicating the truth of what Jesus has done for us. Because oftentimes we say things like this, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Or has anyone ever shown you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? When I was a kid growing up in an independent Baptist church, not that this was literally said to us, but I think this was often implicit in the message that was given to us, it was, Hell is a really terrible place that's full of torture and torment. You don't want to go there. Do you know what you need to do in order to avoid hell and go to heaven when you die? And when that's the message, it's like, of course, tell me what I have to do to avoid hell so that I can go to heaven because that sounds way better. And so oftentimes then the message is, well, ask Jesus into your heart. And oftentimes people think, Well, I did that. I asked Jesus into my heart. I'm good. All I have to do is wait now until I get to heaven. What I want to talk about this morning is why asking Jesus into your heart is not the end. It's only the beginning. So if you have a a Bible, we're going to continue right where we left off last week, looking at the next section in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look this morning at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there um, to the book of Philippians, kind of in the second half of the New Testament. So kind of find the middle and then the next quarter, and you'll be really close to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, uh, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. But let me read this section. Here's what Paul says. Not that I have already reached the goal, I'm already perfect, 
But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I did not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example that you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that I may live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await, we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Why asking Jesus into your heart isn't the end. I actually framed the question that way on purpose because I want to talk for just a minute about that phrase, asking Jesus into your heart. It's a confusing phrase. It's a phrase that's often said to people, even often said to children. It can be especially confusing to children who think very concretely and very literally, and so they think, I'm asking Jesus into my heart, and he literally lives inside of my chest. And so we have this phrase that's often used that, at best, it is confusing. At worst, it's not even in the Bible. And you might be thinking, well, like so many people say that, maybe you've heard it a lot, maybe somebody said it to you, like it has to come from somewhere, right? Well, the place that it may come from is in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, these are the words of Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and be with him and he with me. Now, in that verse, though, There is no heart language. Now, you can see the language, how you could kind of get that a little bit, because there is this door, what's the door to, and things like that, and so you can make that mistake. Now, but here's the issue with Revelation 3.9. In the context of Revelation chapter 3, it is not talking of two people who are making the decision to follow Jesus for the very first time. But what it's talking about are, are people who are believers, followers of Jesus that have drifted away. And so what Jesus is saying to these people, hey, you may have drifted away, but even though you feel like you've drifted away from me, I'm still right there with you, and all you have to do is open the doors, and I'm going to come in, and we'll have that relationship, that fellowship, that intimacy once again. So it's not necessarily talking about what you do in order to come to faith for the very first time. More often, what we read throughout Scripture about people coming to faith for the very first time, we read words like this. Have faith, believe, or trust. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace through faith that we're saved. So it's a matter of faith or trust in the person and work of Jesus that allows us to be saved. We read another conversation in the book of Acts between the apostle Paul and This man that we know as the Philippian jailer. Now, here's what's really interesting about the Philippian jailer, because we read this story in Acts, but the Philippian jailer and his family are now a part of the Philippian church, 
Paul writes this letter to them, so the jailer and his family, they're part of the recipients to this letter. It's in the book of Acts. Paul and Silas had been thrown into jail. In the middle of the night, the prison bars fly open. The jailer assumes that everyone has escaped. All the prisoners have, es- have escaped, and so he's ready to commit suicide to kill himself because he feels like that would be far better than having somebody else kill him, which is going to happen if all the prisoners escape. And Paul says, hey, don't, we're still here. Don't do anything. And so the jailer says, well, what do I have to do to be saved? And the apostle Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So it is belief, faith, trust, that's what allows us to enter into a relationship with God. But even that, we should not think about that as being the end, that's truly only the beginning. But yet so often people get stuck. They get stuck thinking, well, if I ask Jesus into my heart, or if I pray the prayer, then I've done what I need to do. I know that I'm going to get to heaven when I die, or even using what I think is better language, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I recognize what he did for me, so I've trusted him. Oftentimes people think, well, I don't have to do anything else. I'll just sit back and wait for heaven to come, because we think the end of our faith is heaven. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. Heaven is an incredible benefit that comes with faith, But our goal is not how do we get to heaven as much as it is how do we become just like Jesus? How do we reflect who Jesus is in everything that we do? Where we talked about last week, Paul said, I want to know Christ and be made like him. And then he says here at the beginning of this section, not that I've already reached the goal, Not that I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because for this reason, Jesus Christ has taken hold of me. So Paul says, I'm not there yet, so I reach forward towards that goal. And so here's what I want you to think about. That moment that we place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior, that's not the end, but it's actually only the beginning. That's what enters us into the race. I talked a little bit last week about my running experience, and so I want to share some more nuggets of wisdom with you this morning. I don't know how many of you have done a, a race before, a 5K, just in case you ever want to. I'm going to help you out so that you don't make mistakes of first-time runners. So here's what happens when you decide you're going to run in a race for the very first time. Usually, you know, maybe a month or two before, you'll go online register for that race, you'll pay your fee, and then the day before a race, or sometimes it's a couple of days before, uh, if it's a really big race, maybe like a turkey trot or something like that, where there's lots of people, a couple of days, day before, a couple of days before, you will have what we know as packet pickup day. So your packet pickup is typically at a running shoe store somewhere, and so you'll go and you'll get everything that you need for race day. You can do it on race day, but nobody does that, so don't do it. You just fight through the crowd, it's not worth it. You get all this extra stuff. You need to go to packet pickup. So when you go to packet pickup, you get your number. Number goes on the front of your shirt, not the back. People make that mistake a lot. The reason it goes on the front is so that they can identify you when they take a picture. It has, it's not like running in the Olympics. We don't need a runner a number on the back. We just need one on the front. That's really, that's legitimately what it's for. So in addition to your race number, your 
race bib, you'll get a, a bag of goodies sometimes. You know, maybe a, a protein bar or something like that. There'll be some coupons and some advertisements, things like that in there as well. And then also in addition to that, you will get your race shirt. Now, I want you to know this. If you've never, never done this before, you'll get confused. That race shirt is not your uniform to wear in the race. Whenever you show up at a race and you see people wearing their race shirt, you know that they are brand new runners. I made that mistake too. I recognize now that's not your uniform. What that shirt is, is for you to wear after the race is over. So you wear it that day, later in the day, showing people, hey, I was in this race and I finished. Now, Jeff knows this. He's a runner. Sometimes things can happen between the time that you register and race day or sometimes even between packet pickup and race day that keeps you from running in the race. It could be that you were struggling with an injury and you wanted to like, get over it, but you realized you know, race morning you just couldn't do it. Or maybe you wake up and you're sick and you're like, there's no way I can run in this race. Or maybe just some other emergency comes up that keeps you from going. All runners know this. If you got the shirt, you can never wear it because it signifies that you finished the race and you didn't do it. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to understand this. That is the most significant thing that you could ever do in this life. But that's not the end. It's just the beginning. Don't put the shirt on yet. Don't hold your arms up yet. You're not done. There's still a race to be run. Paul said of himself, I'm not there yet, so I press on. This is the language of the runner that, that Paul is using. I strain forward towards this goal. And again, what's his goal? It's to become just like Jesus. And I know, as we've talked about this last week and then again this morning, it's potentially really confusing because it's not often the message that's given. Often in church, the message is given, if you just get to heaven, then that's it. But it's not it, because our goal is to be made just like Jesus, to understand why this is so significant. Because right? I want to tie all this together. You've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, we read about Adam and Eve living in paradise, what we know as the Garden of Eden. It was there in that existence that they lived in perfect harmony with one another, in perfect harmony with God, and then in perfect harmony with creation that was free from sin. Sin hadn't entered in the picture yet. We don't know how long they existed in that state, but very soon sin entered into the picture, and then it ruined everything. Now, fast forward to the very end, Revelation 21 and 22 which is we begin to read about what we often refer to as heaven. What is it? It is paradise. What's fascinating about the way that the Bible begins in Genesis 2 and ends in Revelation 21 and 22 is it starts and ends in the same place. Go back and read it. Some of the language, the pictures, the imagery, it's a little bit different, but it's very, very similar to what we read in Genesis chapter 2. So here is what God is up to in the world. God is making everything right through Jesus, reconciling all things to himself, and that includes us, so that one day we will experience life the way that it was meant to be lived forever in the new paradise. 
But while we await that day when paradise comes, we don't just sit back and do nothing. Because throughout the New Testament, we read things like what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we look back at what the paradise that existed, and then as we look forward to the paradise that is to come, we can catch a glimpse for what God desires to do in our lives so that we bring a little bit of that paradise into this life now. And that happens as God begins to do a work in us so that more and more throughout our lives, we become just like Jesus. See, that's why trusting Jesus as your Savior That's the beginning that enters us into the race. It doesn't mean that we're done because our goal is to be made just like Jesus. And again, Paul says, I'm not there yet. That's why I strain forward to what is ahead. And I want you to, in your mind, when you read those words, you hear those words, think about that runner who's doing everything that he can to go as fast as he can, as hard as he can towards that finish line. That's what we've been called to. Paul wants to be really careful with this as he is writing to the Philippians. He wants to communicate with them. He was not there because there was still a long way to go. It's really easy to think that when you reach a certain place, maybe you do a certain amount of things or an experience happens and all of a sudden you are there and Paul says, no, I'm not there yet. That's why he says, I reach For the goal. He says in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I did not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching for what is ahead. As we strain forward, we are to forget what is behind. When Paul wrote those words, I don't think that he was talking about the bad things that we've done that can hold us back. I think that's part of it. We should never be held back by guilt over past mistakes because we have been forgiven of those things. But I think what Paul's really getting at is that he forgets what is behind and all the good things that he had done and the accomplishments that he had made because there was still more to come. Living the life of faith, it's not like serving on the PTA. If you've served on the PTA when your kids were younger, you know that you only do that for a certain amount of time. You only do it when your kids, if it's elementary school, you only do it when your kids are in elementary school. When they move to middle school, you don't continue to serve in the PTA. You think to yourself, I did my time. I'm done. I've accomplished all that I can accomplish. I am now finished. The life of faith is not that way. You can't ever think, man, I read through the Bible this year, last year. I, will, I have done all that there is to do. You can't think, man, I've served in this area for a certain amount of time. I've done all that there is to do. or, or, Or you can't think, I've had this experience, so now I have arrived, and now I can just sit back and wait. Paul says, no, I haven't arrived yet. I forget the things that are behind, and I strain for what is ahead. Part of that process is regularly critically evaluating the state of our own hearts, making sure that anything that is not of God through the help of the Holy Spirit, we are rid of those things so that we can be brought into conformity with Jesus. Listen to the words of Psalm 139, 24. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Search my heart. If there's any wicked way in me, help me to rid myself of that. Because the goal is not just how do we get to heaven, but how do I become just like Jesus? And none of us have arrived. None of us are there yet. We haven't reached the goal yet. In fact, this side of heaven will never reach the goal, and I'll tell you why I know that. Look at verse 21. Paul says, He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. I will not speak on your behalf. I will speak on mine. The body that I am currently living in is in decay. It has not been transformed yet. And so, because I know that, and that will never happen this side of heaven, what we're to do is to keep running hard. To make sure that everything that we do in life reflects the character of Jesus so that when people look at us, they see Jesus in us. Now, as I say all that, I want you to understand something. The race that we are in is long. It's hard. It's filled with hills. Runners don't like hills. Flat is good. There will be times when you think, I'm not going to make it. There will be times when you think, I might as well just give up. But don't do that. A couple of times in some races that I did, there were times, moments that I thought, I'll never get to the finish line. In fact, once I was doing a half marathon and I hit what is referred to as the wall. I'd never experienced this before. I'd heard about it before, never experienced it before. Got to about mile 10 of a 13-mile race, and I was done. To the point that if you were to find me at that 10-mile mark and said, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to finish the race, or do you want to die right here? I honestly would have said, I prefer death to figuring out how to get to the finish line. That's how bad it was. Something incredible happens in races sometimes. When you get closer to the finish line, the real runners, remember the ones I talked about last week with the short shorts who start at the start line? Oftentimes they will double back. If it's a really long race, maybe as, as much as a couple of miles, if there's a shortcut somehow, and they stand, got their finisher medal on, and they begin to cheer on the other runners can do it. Don't give up. Keep going. I've seen finishers run miles of a race with other runners who thought, I'll never make it. It's that pull of the community of faith that says we can do it. Notice what Paul says, because it's here, verse 15, and I'm not even going to be able to read it. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. 
Jump down to verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Look at the other people that are running well, those that have finished the race, because there's going to be times when you feel like you can't do it, but other people have said, yes, you can. Let the community of faith pull you forward. It's long. It's hard. We can't do it on our own. We need each other to get to the finish line of our faith. But I also don't want you to miss this. Because ultimately, this race is not about us. Verse 21, go back and read it. He will transform us. It's really crazy about this race that we're in. There's a sense in which at the beginning, Paul says we have to do everything that we can to strive forward. And I think we should do that, making sure that our lives are brought into conformity with Jesus. But yet at the same time, it's not about us, because ultimately, it's Jesus who will transform us. He will change us. Here's what I think is really incredible about this race that we're in. It's not about winning. It's about getting to the finish line. The race is hard. It's long. There may be times where you think, man, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. It's in those moments that the community of faith should pull us forward. And ultimately, those of us who have entered the race through our faith in Jesus, there is coming a day where we're going to reach the finish line and we'll be able to hold our arms up in triumph, but not saying, look what I did, because we'll say, look what he did, because he brought me here. Throughout this year, I've mentioned this, I even mentioned it earlier, we want to be a place where your faith comes alive. This is what we're talking about. That faith transforms who you are so that you're brought into conformity with Jesus. And the only way for that to happen is to lean in. Strive for what is ahead. Lean forward. Gather around those people who, you can, pull, who can pull you forward when you don't think you can do it yourself. And that's who we want to be as a church. Because God has so much for you. That one day we'll make it to heaven and it will be better than anything that we could ever even imagine. But the race that we're in is not over. It's just begun. Because our goal is to become just like Jesus.